0: Hello, and welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast number 214. My name is Mike Anello, and joining me today is someone who actually looked this up, Travis. Um, We have mentioned you on the podcast, uh, I think, three times as far as Picks of the Week and whatnot, but you've never actually been on the podcast. So, Travis Cardin, welcome to the Drupal Easy Podcast.
1: Thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here.
0: I think, I, you know, I didn't actually look this up, but I think you've been in the community at least as long as I have, if not longer. Do you know how many years you've been, you've had your Drupal.org account?
1: I think I'm right at 10 years because I, I believe the, the date on my Drupal.org user profile is September 2008, I think.
0: Okay, so I've got a couple years on you, not too much though. Um, but anyway, your username on Drupal.org is Travis Cardin. Altogether, no no underscores or anything. You are a senior software engineer with Acquia. Um, so real quick, like, what was your path? Like, you know, um, how did you find Drupal, and what did you do before you know you found your way at Acquia?
1: Yeah, well, my path into Drupal, first of all, was that. Uh, I graduated from high school, and I actually didn't have any kind of intention to work in software at that point. But uh, my actual plans at the time got put on hold for health reasons, and I just kind of needed something to do for a job. And I had some computer skills, so I circulated a resume around town and wound up doing ASP Classic, Uh, (laughs) been there oh yeah Um, and found shortly that I was pretty good at it and I enjoyed it and wandered into the PHP world a year or so later this is year 2000 or 2001 and I began freelancing at some point and as is the case with a lot of people that end up in drupal i was doing websites for small businesses and building ad hoc cms's for them myself which very quickly proved an unsustainable business model and so i started looking for frameworks or uh, cms products to work with Uh, i toyed with a good number of them i Stuck with WordPress for longer than any of the others until I found that it didn't have the flex the particular flexibility that I was looking for Uh, I think the business need that pushed me over the edge at the time was that I Had a site that needed to have both a blog and a press releases section and I didn't want to have one blog type with a category, tags to separate them right, and
0: did not want your chocolate in the peanut butter.
1: I didn't. know. as as delicious as that is in other in other contexts, um, life does not follow the the Reese's paradigm all the time. I'm afraid.
0: Yeah, your story is as many people as we interview on this podcast who have been in Drupal for you know eight, nine, ten or more years. It, the stories are remarkably similar.
1: Yeah, it, it is. I, I, uh, I, still, I still feel like the young buck, though, when I'm in a group of people, very many people that tell a story like this because it seems like they all then go on to say, so I got started in Drupal 4.6, Drupal 4.7, but I made my first Drupal site just the tail end of Drupal 5, uh, it was it was my first Drupal site and the last Drupal five site that I did, and then was the stable release of Drupal six. So you're making it sound like for those of us that have built a site in Drupal four point seven,
0: as we've got some additional street cred.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I uh, I don't I don't feel worthy to uh, to walk on the ground you tread. I'm not sure you're missing that much.
0: All right, so. We are going to talk to you about something um, that you emailed me about months and months ago that I'm just now circling back on, um, called the Drupal Spec Tool, which is pretty darn cool. Before we get to that, though, let me mention our sponsor of today's episode, DrupalAid.com. DrupalAid um, provides support and proactive maintenance, as well as you know minor run-of-the-mill Drupal website fixes starting at $99 per site per month. It's basically, it's a simple monthly plan. You can sign up anytime, cancel anytime, um, and just pay per month. And they will make sure that your Drupal core and modules stay up to date. And if you've got some little weird thing happening, you can email them and they will take care of it for you. Um, They support Drupal 6, 7, and 8. And the other really interesting thing they do is if you are a small Drupal freelancer or a Drupal agency, I should say, a, a Drupal freelancer or a Drupal agency, and you would rather not spend your time maintaining your client sites as far as module updates and core updates, they actually have an affiliate plan. So your clients can get their sites updated using uh, the Drupal Aid team, it can be invisible to them through your um, through your agency or through your own business. So you can check that out at DrupalAid.com. That's DrupalAid.com slash affiliates. Okay, so Travis, this is really interesting. Um, so you wrote a blog post. I think it was back, what did we decide? It was back in March you wrote this. Let me double check. So yeah, no, May, I'm sorry.
1: It was tail end of May.
0: Tail end of May of this year. About this spreadsheet. It's mainly a spreadsheet tool. There's some other bits and pieces, but um, the the focus I think what we're going to talk about today is primarily the spreadsheet portion of it that you and other folks at Acquia have developed and use routinely at Acquia to help spec out um, not an entire Drupal site, but certainly um, a decent number of aspects of a Drupal site. And the thing that's really interesting about this, and I'm going to shut up and let you talk about it here in a second. The thing that's really interesting about it is not only do you spec out things like entities and fields and views, um, but that spreadsheet then generates diagrams and behat tests to make sure that the site actually has the things that are spec'd out in the spreadsheet. Did I say anything incorrect yet? I don't think so. Okay, so I, I should probably um, stop talking at this point. So tell us a little bit, what was the inspiration
1: for this uh, for this project? Well, inspiration-wise, I am indebted to my predecessors, there were some folks in Acquia Professional Services who created a spreadsheet of a similar intent that had been used for quite a while. And its, uh, its goal was to create some documentation of the content model for a Drupal site that could be shared amongst developers for implementation and delivered to customers as documentation of what they had required and received. And I received this template at some point on a certain project I was on in 2017 and began using it on that project. and. and began pretty quickly bumping up against the limitations of the then format of it Uh, that customer was for me or in my experience the most sophisticated content model of any build i've ever done in drupal in the end we turned out to have about 165 content entity type bundles, 630 fields, and 246 relationships between all of them, which was massive, like order of magnitude difference between that and the largest content model that I had done previously. Yeah, that is is crazy big. (laughs) Yes, and I think the first reaction that most people have when I throw out those numbers, is you had to have been doing something wrong. No Drupal site needs that number of content entity type bundles or that many fields. Uh, and uh, I think that probably would have been my gut reaction as well, but in, in the case of this customer, I think it was the correct representation of their application. And the reason for that is because um, the reason for that ironically, is because they were doing things right, as many of us would define right. They were doing what we're always telling people that they should do, but have a hard time getting them to do. Namely, they were modeling their business. They weren't modeling pages this of course has been kind of the battle cry of jeff eaton at lullabot for a lot of years and has been the the banner has been picked up and carried by more and more people i think as we've talked more about decoupling and api first development uh, the whole npr websites uh, build it or create content once, use it everywhere kind of paradigm. And the way that this customer I was working with did things was very much in line with that. Uh, I'm, I'm not at liberty to disclose uh, their actual name, but I can say that it was uh, a card, a gaming card maker. Uh, Or at least that was the most notable aspect of the business as it related to the content model. And so imagine uh, something on the order of Magic the Gathering or something. I'm not personally a a big gamer, so I don't have a a large retinue of comparable examples to, to pull from, but that's one of the other ones that I know of. The idea is similar to that where you've got trading cards that have kind of classes of characters with different attributes and they can hold items and they can evolve and they can have different battle states and uh, different attributes and all of these characteristics of the business were being displayed in lots of different parts of the website, it uh, and not just the website, but also mobile apps and RSS feeds.
0: If I know our listeners at all, they are desperately trying to figure out who the client is. But we're going.
1: <laughs> the The client advised me that I probably could say it and not get away uh, and and get away with it, not get in trouble, but. Um, I'm not going to hazard it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm not even going to push you on it. So
0: you said something early on that's, you know, that really stuck with me. Um, and that's, you know, it, it was originally used or the spreadsheet that you inherited was originally used to like document, you know, in kind of a, in a way that someone who doesn't know Drupal can understand what is actually, you know, these content entities are. And, um, and I think that anybody who works with a client to define a site's information architecture kind of has their own method for documenting this. You know, some people do it in a diagram, you know, a block diagram with, you know, arrows for relationships and um, something that's very, you know, physical and that you can look at and, and, and see, okay, this thing's related to that. Um, some people do it in, a, in just a, a simple text document, you know, an outline mode. Some people do it in a spreadsheet. Um but I think what's interesting about this spec tool is it kind of made the jump from being a documentation tool to something else. So so tell me about that process and like what you know what was the first domino to fall and what
1: was the thinking behind it. Yeah, so I'll I'll flesh out first a little bit of what you're referring to when you say that it's made the jump from being just a document to something else. Some of the features that it now includes are that it has validation in it. so it, it will warn you if you try to make certain kinds of specifications that don't make sense, or if you try to om- if you omit certain pieces of information. So for example, if you, Create a field. You specify a field, and you tell it that it's an entity relationship field. It will then turn uh, turn a cell in that row red until you tell it what it relates to. You put the target entity relationship bundle there, uh, or if you uh, if you try to fill out a field for an attribute that a certain content entity content entity type doesn't possess, it will warn you about that. So there's some validation uh, in play there. There's also some reporting. It has a, uh, a default tab that tells you how many of each type of configuration you've specified. You have this many content entity type bundles of those. This number are content types. This number are blocks. Uh, I I might remark in passing that I use the term content entity types uh, and a a lot of people, even Drupal builders and developers, uh, have to stop and ask what that means. So I should step aside for just a moment and clarify a term because I refer to content entity type bundles and a lot of people, even Drupal developers and builders, ask me what that means when I say it. It is Drupal's under the hood terminology for what block types, content types, media types, etc are, um, when you a, a content entity type would be like node or block. And then bundles would be your content types or your block types.
0: Yeah, it gets a little bit into in the, the, the terminology that you're talking about is directly related to the actual class
1: names under the hood. Right. Yeah. Drupal, Drupal core is kind of low-level API and uh, it, it may seem like a bit of an excursus to mention, but it gets at one of the problems that this sheet was trying to solve, namely that uh, people don't talk consistently about the things in a drupal architecture or a content model and so this was this was trying to guide people into thinking and talking about them and specifying them in a way that actually matches the way drupal works under the hood there's nothing worse as a developer than receiving a specification to build something and then reading through it and going to implement it and realizing that whoever wrote the specification wrote something that's fundamentally incompatible with how Drupal actually works or at best is ambiguous.
0: Yes. And I hope we're not over-explaining it because in the, you know, in the spreadsheet, which by the way, this is all obviously open source. It's a, the spreadsheet is a, a Google doc that you can copy and make your own. Um, as far as the, 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 the bundles or the content entity types that we're talking about, um, there's basically one tab where uh, the, the author or authors of the spreadsheet can come in and say, okay, well, I need you know, three content types, two media types, and one custom block type. And here's all of the, the metadata around all of those. It's a lot simpler than I think what
1: um, we're making it out to be just based on the terminology. That's entirely possible. Describing this verbally uh, is a, a bit of a, or imagining it from a verbal description is a bit of a challenge. All right. Well, let's get let's get back on track. So this, it
0: started out as as you know as a way to document, and so you've mentioned that there's some
1: validation going on. Um, so what else? Yeah. So there's the validation. There is the reporting aspect that got me off on that tangent where on the overview tab, it shows you how many of each type of configuration you have specified Uh, on the project that I referred to before that proved valuable to us because the the customer was kind of discovering their own business model uh, going through this with us. And over the course of a, uh, it was something like a, 50-week project or something so almost a year we ended up having something on the order of 20 percent change in the content model sprint over sprint so it was constantly changing and when we got to the end of every sprint we found that we needed to be able to justify how much time we had spent on things and so to be able to to show Here's last sprint's specification and this month's sprint. And just looking at the two of them, you can see you added 20% to your content model. You deleted these many, you added that. So um, after the kind of reporting aspect, it also gives you some documentation generation. It will take things like your content model and generate an entity relationship diagram, an ERD, that uses a UML notation to, or, or creates UML diagrams showing the content entity types you have and their relationships. Yeah, I was really amazed by this. You know, you and I did a,
0: a screen share a few days ago just to, so you could demo this for me to get ready for the podcast. And those diagrams that you showed me that are basically automatically generated, that's normally my starting point with the clients mm-hmm. where I will sit down with them and I will draw those out. So to have those be a byproduct of the spreadsheet specification was, was a bit of an eye-opener for me and mm-hmm. just a, a really cool bit of
1: functionality. Excellent. The other diagrams that it generates automatically are workflow diagrams. And I found those very helpful being on site with clients, for example, and talking through their workflow. I don't know if your experience has been similar, but I find that a lot of customers have never thought about what their actual business workflow is for content. They're, They're generally in the mode of this is what our previous software has forced us to do. And so, when you tell them we can do what your business needs us to do, uh, they're often uh, awash in possibilities. And so, yeah,
0: that's that cuts both ways, though, because sometimes, in my experience at least, we've defined a workflow that is overly ambitious, mm-hmm. let's say, yeah, um, and then doesn't actually get used the way they thought it would be used, and it was over-engineered and. Um, We end up coming back six months later and simplifying it. Right. So that's where prototyping is obviously super important.
1: Definitely. And on that point, I might mention in passing that the spec tool is pre-populated with the -the out-of-the-box state of Lightning, Acquia's uh, starting point for enterprise authoring. It's a Drupal installation profile, and it has a workflow configuration that you can use out of the box. So when you open the spec tool, it will show you what what you would get for free in every respect from Lightning. And it's helpful to be able to take that to a customer and say, if you want to do something crazy with workflow, we can do something crazy. But if you want to do something free, (laughs) this is what it would look like. Um, And then to, to take that workflow diagram and be able to trace through it with them. That's also a UML diagram. Um, And and so you can can just look and and see which states go somewhere and which states are dead ends. And it really helps you analyze the the business cases. So then after the diagram generation, the final feature off the top of my head that this provides for you is the BHAT test or more properly feature generation. And it creates both the diagrams and the bhat feature files with a whole bunch of behind-the-scenes Google queries against the sheets that you've filled out in the specification. And the, there is a code component to this whole project, and that is bhat step definition files in the form of a packagist package that you can add to your project with composer and so once you install that uh, and configure b hat according to the instructions on the project page then you uh, you can just copy and paste out of the spreadsheet the generated uh, feature files the scenarios uh, into your behat test directory, wherever you've got that, and then it will assert on your content model. And that was something that I didn't complete until after this big project I refer to was completed. Uh, and it was kind of the culmination of my grand original vision for things because that takes you that kind of uh, achieves with respect to Drupal content modeling the promise of uh, behavioral development uh, or behavior driven development and test first development Um, people in the behavior driven development or BDD community uh, may tell you that it's it's not really about testing per se in fact the creator of cucumber the automated testing framework of which Behat hat is a php port has said that uh, if you think it's a testing tool you're wrong he said it's actually a communication tool it's about giving you a way to create a common language between business stakeholders and developers and QA, a single vocabulary that everyone uses so that when you make a certain proposition, everyone can know just from the statement of it, whether it's true or false. And to illustrate what I mean by that, if you have a customer Uh, Or if you say to a customer, we created a content type and two vocabularies that are attached to it with reference fields for all but the very most technical and savvy customers, that absolutely does not translate to, oh, so you gave me the blog content type that I was looking for and it has tags and categories. (laughs) Um, So the whole idea behind behavior-driven development is to give you this this common language that in the case of BHAT is automatable. Uh, The syntax is called Gherkin and it's that given when then kind of format for stories or scenarios Um, and BHAT gives you a tool for taking those specifications and being able to write plain English language statements like uh, given I'm logged into Drupal, then I see X or whatever, and to tell the computer how to to automate those those statements. So that's what's provided uh, in in this pairing of the spreadsheet and the uh, BHAT step definitions from the the Drupal spec tool, the spreadsheet generates the Gherkin that makes the statements, uh, I have this list of content entity types and this list of fields, and these are their attributes. And then the B had step definitions, uh, tell BHAT how to interpret that to actually compare it to your Drupal installation and either pass or fail them. And so bringing this back around to the beginning, the way that this delivers on that BDD promise or test first promise is that you can start with the business problems and specify your requirements with the customer. And then instead of telling the developer go do it and we'll see if you did it right and then you have that that QA loop uh, and the user acceptance loop you hand them tests that the customer has already approved and if the tests pass and you did your specification correctly then presumably your UAT will pass or your QA first and then your UAT will pass because the customer already agreed to the tests right it, it it works
0: it works on both in in both directions that's right you know it protects the i don't want to say protects but it helps the the developer know that if the the tests pass then i know that i have accurately created everything that's in the spreadsheet and the stakeholders know that if i put everything that i need in the in the spreadsheet I know that the developer is not going to stop until all the tests pass and we're going to have what we need. Right. So it's really interesting. I mean, this was, again, this was another one of those moments when I when the light bulb came on for me that this is really test-driven development for a lot of site configuration. Yeah. You know, right? We're, we're used to hearing all about test-driven development for code,
1: mm-hmm. for,
0: you know, a custom module or core, or even a contributed module. But this is really test-driven development um, for a lot of a Drupal sites configuration, and I would even argue that this is a heck of a lot easier than writing like a PHP unit test. This might be a good kind of entry point for a lot of folks to do, to you know, to use Bat.
1: Yeah, that would be. I would love it if that proves to be the case.
0: Um, and so to use this tool i asked you this when we talked um, the other day and i just want to reiterate the answer cuz i was surprised at how how simple it actually is so to actually use this tool um, all the links will be in the uh, in the podcast notes but you get a copy of the spreadsheet and you can you know make your own copy and populate it with you know with the things you that you need for your site and you can use as much of it or as little of it as you want um, you need to install the hat which is you can do you know easily enough via a composer command. if you're using Acquia BLT, you already have it. Um, you add the spec tool, which um, includes the and I, I'm, I just I'm blanking on the phrase um, it includes the the, the, the B hat the custom um, step definitions. Yes, the step definitions so that it knows how to test the things that you want it to test.
1: And in fact, if you're using BLT those are already in place too.
0: Oh okay. Um, and then you add the Behat context to the local BHAT configuration. So what does that mean exactly? Uh,
1: that, that is included in what I said, if you have BLT, you already have in place. But that means that BHAT has a configuration file, by default, bhat.yaml, that tells it how BHAT is set up in your application and so it will tell it among other things and relevant to this point where to find your context files which are what contain the custom step definitions right right
0: and then once you feel the spreadsheet has everything that it needs to have you basically copy and paste that um I don't want to call them tests because I feel like you don't want me to call them tests.
1: <laughs> yeah, technically you would refer to them either as feature files or as stories, depending on which perspective you have.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like I don't want to use the F word because the F word <laughs> yeah. has so many other, well, not so many, but it has a fairly big, you know, other use case in Drupal. So we'll go with stories. Yeah, but you copy and paste those stories from the the appropriate tab in the spreadsheet into your code base in the right place, and all, all the instructions are are on GitHub. And and you're off and running. Yeah. Um, so the only thing this doesn't do for us is actually create all of those entities and the migrations and the workflows and all that stuff. It basically allows us to define what they should be, and it gives us tests to verify that they are what we said they should be, but it, it's still up to us to, to actually implement all that stuff the right way.
1: That's right. But speaking of that, it's as if you deliberately teed me up on this mm, point. Did I? <laughs> we, we are conscious of how close the infrastructure that's in the tool already gets us to being able to do that last step of just building it in Drupal for you. Uh, once we got to the point where it was able to take a spreadsheet and convert it into CSV, which is basically how it does the comparisons in the step definitions. Once you get that far, do what you want with the CSV. It's just rows of data. We happen to compare them with rows of table values coming from the the BHAT feature files. But with not a terrible lot of work, we could just pipe them into API functions in Drupal core or uh, a little glue code that will create the things when they're not present in the application.
0: Or configuration files, maybe?
1: Yeah, I, I think the way to go would be to, to pipe them to the API functions, which would I mean, we could create the configuration files, but...
0: Right, then you'd get them anyway. Right, okay. Just thinking out loud.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So there are some opportunities here that I'm very excited about, and I think some other people are very excited about. The biggest one in terms of how much of a win it would be to realize or uh, actually execute on the opportunity would be to make the tool capable of taking a specification and actually implementing it in Drupal. That would be massive, I think, Uh, and not to suggest that it would be trivial. It's very doable with the infrastructure that we have in place. There are some other opportunities that are also present and exciting to me, namely, to add further automation in other aspects. I'll call out Nick Wild, uh, a Drupal community member who created uh, a Packagist package that um, goes integrates with this and provides a composer command so that if you tell it where your spreadsheet is and give it authentication, Credentials, then it will take the spreadsheet and automatically update your uh, your story files locally, just with a Composer command. And then there is none of that copy paste. We've also got some folks that are looking into uh, my my friend and colleague Brian Reese uh, at and professional services first among them, is starting to look into creating a command that will go the other direction. We'll take a pre-existing Drupal site and retroactively fill out a specification for it. So that if you are in the middle of a project or you inherit an application from someone else, you can just derive the specification from it and then continue working from where you are.
0: That's that's pretty wild. That
1: is, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I'm kind of sitting here. I'm, you, you stunned me a little bit as far as going that direction as well. Going from I have a site now, output my spec, and now I've got you know diagrams. I've got the hat tests. So if I ever ever need to iterate on the site, I'm I now have everything I need. I can make that change in the spreadsheet, get my new Bahat tests. Make the changes, make sure everything passes, and we're good to go. So yeah. even if you haven't, even if you didn't start the project using the spec tool, you can kind of jump in in the middle and still use the spec tool. Is what you're saying?
1: Right. Yeah. And from from the perspective of a multidisciplinary organization like Aquia, where we're standardizing on the use of this tool across our departments, you can imagine the value proposition for us. We might have a professional services engagement to build an application from scratch, or we might have a technical account manager that's supporting a customer that comes in with an application built by another agency, or we might have uh, just a hosting customer that comes to our support department with problems. And for just those three examples, within uh, the company to be able to have any one of them pull up a document or generate a new document that's a common format that everyone shares and be able to say, this is the high level architecture of the site. There are this many views, this many migrations, this many content entity types, and they're related this way, Uh, would, uh, would improve communication between groups internally reduce friction, uh, reduce the amount of time spent generating reports and documentation.
0: Even just even just to get an eyeball on the information architecture and the relationships. I mean, there's times when you can just look at a diagram of, and I know I'm, I, I'm big on these IA diagrams, but there are times you can look at a diagram and, and spot problems. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So this sounds fantastic. Um, are you aware of any organizations or anybody outside of Acquia who uses this tool regularly?
1: I am. Uh, i
0: not ask you to name names. I'm just curious. Okay,
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> we we are getting a little bit of engagement in the issue queues from uh, people within several organizations. I don't know which among them have organizationally standardized on it or considered a best practice or anything. Right. But I, I know off the top of my head of three or more organizations that appear to be regularly using it and are contributing in the issue queues in the in the form of issue reports, requests, and, and other contributions.
0: I think we've covered just about everything
1: we had planned on talking about. Is there anything
0: that we missed as far as you know?
1: So yeah, there is one other thing uh, I think that we could say about the Drupal spec tool or that would be helpful to say. And that is that the the technology and the tools we've covered very well. but when people start using this, I find that I get the same sort of questions for them from them that is that are not about the tool itself as a technology, but rather about how does this change the way, I, we work as a team. How does it change the way we deliver? And those kinds of questions involve things like, so do we create a ticket for every content type? Or what's your sprint cycle like when you work with this? Or what happens when there's change over time? Or how do you work with QA engineers and, and collaborate with them on progress? And there's a lot to say in that space. And so we've been trying to document as much of it as possible. So on uh, at the GitHub project, there's a wiki. And it it contains all of the material that was in the original... Announcement blog post uh, and is evolving with additional details, questions, and answers. So I would strongly encourage people to read the wiki. If you have questions that aren't answered, by all means, please create an issue in our issue queue on GitHub and we'll do our best to provide some answers there. Feedback is also welcome. So uh, as I Mentioned before, we are getting some good engagement from various folks in the community, and we would love to have anybody else uh, involved that's interested in being so. Right. Okay. So let's move on, real quick. We're going to learn a little
0: bit more about you in just a minute, Travis. So get ready for that. Um, Before we do that, though, let me mention uh, Drupal Career Online. That is a 12 week best practice focused long form training program that I've been doing for six or seven years now. Um, It's three half days a week. Uh, The next semester begins February 25th in 2019, which I believe by the time this podcast is released is actually this year. Um, We're recording this at the tail end of uh, 2018. You can learn more about the class, um, you know, what the syllabus is, you know, what, what a typical week looks like, you know uh, what you can expect to to learn and how much time you should expect to spend um, in the class uh, at what we call our Taste of Drupal, which are free one-hour webinars that we're we'll holding three more times um, before the class starts on February 25th. It's basically an opportunity to come and see a little presentation about the class and ask me any and all questions that you have. So you can sign up for the class as well as for Taste of Drupal at drupaleasy.com/slash dco for drupal career online in addition to that um, i'm still doing the two-hour uh, live online monthly ddev workshops the next one is january 22nd you can sign up for that at drupaleasycom ddev that's my favorite local development environment and it's such my favorite that i wrote a book about it um, called local web development with ddev explained and you can go to basically any page on DrupalEasy.com. It's, there's a link there on the sidebar. You can search for the book on Amazon and uh, leave me a review. That would be fantastic. Um, another thing I want to mention, Florida Drupal Camp. Our, our 11th year of Florida Drupal Camp is going to be held President's Day weekend, just like it always is, February 15th, 16th, and 17th. Registration and session proposals are open as of right now. There are uh, workshops on Friday the 15th and then sessions all day on Saturday and half a day on Sunday. Everything is, inclu- is included with your low registration price, which I think is still an early bird as of this moment, and this moment being when we release the podcast. So, um, Travis, where can people find you online?
1: People can find me at TravisCardon.com. That's T R A V I S. C as in cat, A R D as in dog, E N dot com. Um, you you have my uh, Twitter handle in your show notes, but I tweet with all the frequency of a visit from Haley's Comet, so <laughs> that won't be of terrible interest to anybody.
0: All right, maybe we'll just leave that off. We won't even
1: tell. Okay. You.
0: <laughs> All right, here we go. Five questions. You ready? I'm ready. What is something interesting you do outside of Drupal?
1: So I am a family man and a bit of a homebody. So most of the things that I do outside of Drupal involve uh, my wife and my two daughters. Uh, One of our favorite family activities is uh, read aloud. Uh, I've read a lot in the last several years about the importance and impact on the cognitive development and emotional development of children of reading aloud to them and so we've we've made kind of a, a big thing of, of that and we really enjoy it we go we go out to used bookstores and thrift shops and find all sorts of great and especially classic books for 50 cents and then uh, we just read a little bit uh, each night after supper and before bedtime we have a really good time with it
0: now we read to our kids every single night before bed from the day they were born until i don't even know maybe some some point in elementary school i actually think we overdid it because (laughs) my kids they don't stop talking now and they're Uh, both like really, really good communicators, like outstanding communicators. That's great. Um, I think we should have stopped a couple of years. (laughs) Kind of tempered that a little bit because we can't get them to shut up sometimes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hey, what is your favorite movie? Uh,
1: This is how significant of a role movies play in my life. Uh, When I saw that question on the show notes, uh, I went and checked Facebook to see if I could find the answer.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Okay. Um, and uh, I, I had not listed a favorite movie on Facebook. And so I, well, great. Now how am I going to find out my favorite movie? <laughs> but I, I thought about it for a little while. And I think that if, if I had to pick one movie that I would be happier than any other movie to watch, uh, like on a, a quiet Saturday or something, it would probably be Galaxy Quest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, is a, that is a surprisingly funny movie. <laughs>
1: Isn't it? As somebody who grew up watching a lot of Star Trek and Star Wars, I think it's just the most fantastic satire of, like, geek culture and... <laughs> That's outstanding.
0: Oh, I'm almost afraid to ask you the next question based on how you started the answer to this question. Um, what are you currently streaming? So, are there any like TV shows or anything that, that you, you know, you or you and your wife sit down and, and kind of follow?
1: There aren't, but I do listen to a lot of audiobooks. Okay. And uh, I just recently finished a book called influencer the power to change anything by patterson et al uh, i really enjoy and it's among a number of books uh, that i have enjoyed on the subject of kind of sociology and team dynamics or organizational culture and health and specifically understanding why cultures develop and exist the way that they do and how someone within that culture, whether as an official leader or outside an official capacity, can have an influence on the culture to improve it in specific ways to create greater health and effectiveness.
0: I'm going to play armchair psychologist a little bit. So it seems like when when you are done, because this That seems like a little bit of work to me. Okay. To to listen to something that engaging. I don't know if engaging is the right word there, but it seems like when you're done working, you turn your attention to family stuff. Right. I think I may have answered your fourth question for you. Then is what distracts you the most?
1: Yeah. When I saw this one on the show notes, um, I I wondered what exactly you meant by that distracts me from what
0: from whatever like if you if if you need to get something done on like a tuesday afternoon is there something that could happen you know not in a bad way obviously but is there you know if it's a particularly particularly beautiful day outside or if your dog if you, if you have a dog i don't know if your dog wanders in with a ball or something like is there something that you can't resist procrastinating with?
1: That question probably has an answer that's a little different than what you seem to be expecting just now, uh, and perhaps uh, a little bit funny in some respects. I think that in those terms, what distracts me the most from anything, any issue immediately at hand, would be introspection and aspiration. I am a hopelessly analytical person. And so as, as I'm going through any experience, uh, I am normally, whether consciously or, or subconsciously, asking myself a few questions. The first of which is, how did we get here, wherever here is? And the second is, should it be this way? And if not, how could it be made better? So when I am uh, delivering on a a software project, uh, one of the biggest things that will distract me is seeing an opportunity to improve some piece of software that I'm implementing and wanting to go write a patch for it. or refactor something or create a a new solution or a new tool that's where the drupal spec tool came from Uh, i was i was never tasked with that Uh, i just became really frustrated with a particular problem uh, and then uh, fought for the rest of the time to uh, not give all of my energy to to creating a solution for it
0: you have it seems like a, a a deep well of focus to pull from
1: You could probably say that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, last question. So I think this one's going to be in your wheelhouse. Um, Is there a Drupal project that you are currently most excited about other than the Drupal spec tool? Let me throw that in there.
1: So I think that uh, my answer to this one may be a little bit of a cheat. You tell me. I don't know.
0: It's okay. You can cheat. There's no wrong answers there.
1: <laughs> so I, I recently took a new position at Acquia. It's, it's been almost two quarters now since I moved from professional service as a senior technical architect into Acquia's engineering organization as a senior software engineer. Uh, in fact, I, I'm now on Ted Bowman's team. Uh, I think I mentioned this to you the other day, we...
0: I'm not sure if I should apologize or say congrats. <laughs> uh,
1: I'm, I'm not sure which one of us you should do that to or for. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, we, our team just recently uh, renamed itself. Uh, it used to be called Octo or the office of the CTO, because everyone on it reported to Dries. Uh, But things have changed a little bit organizationally now, and there's a a little bit different hierarchy. And so uh, we renamed ourselves the Drupal Acceleration Team because our areas of focus and responsibility all involve just doing whatever in our perception at Acquia, is in the best interests of Drupal as a piece of software and as a community in order to move it forward. So for some of us, like Angie Webchick Byron, for example, on, on this team, for her that means a lot of project management and collaborating with folks in the community. Uh, the team also includes Uh, Adam Honich and Adam Balsam on the Acquia, who work on Acquia's Lightning distribution. For me right now, and this leads to what I'm excited about, uh, I am on an internal project, which is why I'm afraid it may be a, may seem like a little bit of a cheat because it's not an open source thing or, or Drupal community contribution. But my new role on the Drupal acceleration team was created uh, for a a specific project. And that is to create an automated testing framework for all of Drupal's, uh, excuse me, all of Acquia's product modules uh, to create a platform that takes all of our modules and installs them into a realistic functioning best practice Drupal build. And then runs automated tests on all of them to ensure that they all work together as expected. And I'm excited about this, uh, first of all, because uh, I, I love quality. Uh, Quality issues, quality assurance. Uh, I I love code review and code quality and analysis and automated testing, and so that's really fun for me. Uh, I I also love fixing things that are broken. I I think I, I joke with folks that this role was created for me as as punishment for uh, submitting the product feedback as I did. Approaching a year ago, that we needed something like this. <laughs> um, yeah, careful what you suggest. Right, so I, I think it w- I think I I started asking for things, and somebody finally said, "Fine, do them then."
0: <laughs> you know, that's really interesting because it's you're you're not tasked with you know creating automated tests for a thing. You're, it's kind of like next level. You're tasked with creating an automated tests or automated test for all of the things working together. Right. So that must have its own unique set of challenges.
1: It does. It's very meta. As, as far as my daughters are concerned, uh, I'm building a robot because, uh, you know, they're eight and 10 years old. So the level of sophistication uh, with which I can explain things, this in particular to them extends about to the point of saying, well, I'm creating a computer program That creates computer programs with other computer programs, and then tests them to make sure that they work. (laughs) Um, So, oh well, Daddy's obviously building a robot.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, very good. It's always good to be jazzed about um, the stuff that you have to that year that you're getting paid. Yeah. It makes the day go much faster. Well, Travis, thank you very much for your time today. Um, on our way out, let me, as always, thank devpanel.com and webenable.com, longtime um friends and sponsors of the Drupal Easy podcast. If you are interested in previous episodes, and our previous one was actually with um, your, your co-worker, Ted Bowman, talking about the core layout builder. So that was episode two th- uh, 213. But if you want to hear that or any other of the 213 Drupal Easy podcast episodes. You can search iTunes, Google Play, or just go to DrupalEasy.com. So, Travis, thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun.
0: And we will see everybody on the next Drupal Easy podcast. See ya!